So uh, we just had our best week of pod practice, didn't we, guys? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, we did. Usually that can only mean one thing. What does that mean? That this week is probably going to suck. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the second episode of the No Block No Rock Podcast. This is episode number two. Let's touch on a few issues, shall we? What do you guys think? What issue should we touch on today? Ooh, I think we should talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Lubick interviewing at an FCS job. Okay, we could talk about Matt Lubick interviewing at an FCS job. I'm repeating that because I think it bears repeating. Extra slow. FCS job. Okay, what else What else do we have on the agenda? Uh, I think we're going to talk about uh, Travis Fisher. He interviewed at Georgia uh, for the, the DB job there, which okay. is kind of... Head scratching a little bit. A little bit, okay. Um, our team discovered Unity, and they all tweeted at the same exact time. I'm sure it wasn't scripted at all. No. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Com- completely just natural reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it sounded genuine and straight from the heart. Um, and then uh, what about the Super Bowl? We have something coming up on Sunday where we have a couple Huskers, or former Huskers, in uh, in the Super Bowl. So we can Big touch game. on that and, and uh, touch on a couple of those individuals. Big game. Yeah, big game. Um, but before we get into all that, we just want to give a shout out to uh, the about 89 people that tuned into our first episode. There we go. You know, that's, that's a decent start. And like Mike said, that's kind of light years ahead of what we thought it would be, you know? Well, so. I was expecting 20 and we ended up with 89. So, hey, you know, maybe next week we'll have uh, 99. I don't know. <laughs> well, one way that this can happen, fellow dear listeners. Please follow us on Twitter at NBNR Podcast. That is the no block, no rock. Not the no rock, no block. Let's not get it twisted, okay? So uh, <laughs> with, with further ado, should we, should we get started on the, the Matt Lubick conversation? If there is a conversation? Yeah, you know, and before, before we get into this too much, you know, I did acknowledge that me personally... I'm not like too invested in this news story. When you hear about it, you hear about a Big Ten offensive coordinator, you know, wanting to be a head coach at the FCS level. It is a little head scratching. And not everyone is going to have the same goals when it comes to coaching. Eric, I think you had like a little bit more background on this, just coaches and motivations and stuff. Basically, I think it comes down to what like to what every coach ones for for themselves so i mean so he's from the area he could be wanting to go back home that's perfectly fine and i mean he's not like super young and he just left coaching two years ago so he could be looking for that like perfect spot for him and as far as the money thing you know his dad was a coach for a lot of years and he's been coaching for a lot of years himself and i think he did something with his brother in the time he retired at like real estate i think so he isn't poor anyway yeah but the worrisome thing to me about this whole situation is that it's yet another part of the offense that doesn't want to seem to be here and it's yeah. like that disconnect that, that we talked about last week with defense seems completely together and the offense can't seem to get their heads on straight. So, it, yeah. Yeah, and when you think about Lubick, 
he was out of coaching for a few years before he came to Nebraska. He was a financial advisor or something like yep. that. And then, you know, Frost made that hire, which which was, like, curious. It's like, okay, the dude's kind of been out of coaching or whatever. So the only reason why he would make that hire is because he must have had a personal relationship with Lubick. He must have felt comfortable with Lubick. But then a year later, he's interviewing, I guess, for this FCS job. And it's like, dang, Frost hired you when you were a financial advisor, and now you're kind of trying to dip out. Like, I don't know what the deal is there. Well, and I like I like the, the, the what you said there about Lubick and Scott's relationship and that trust. Uh, he trusts him enough to, to start calling plays. And he Scott always reiterates how they're always on the same wavelength. Uh, they're from that same that same brotherhood and at Oregon and and whatnot. And so he trusts him. That was the I think that was the word he he used a lot when he, when Lubick was hired. And when Troy Walters left, I feel like that trust was never there with Troy. Um, and it's kind of head scratching because I felt like when Lubick got here, it sounded like he was juiced up and and ready to get back into some football and. And I, I guess as a comfort thing, why, why leave something you just got here? And I mean, it feels like he has one step at the one foot out the door already, and that it's kind of weird, especially talking about the offense again, where the offense just they aren't taking those steps forward, especially with Scott being that offensive mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have you have Lubick interviewing for, uh, in my opinion, a big step down. I mean, not only financially, but I mean, you're you're uh, offensive coordinator at a Power Five school, and in the Big Ten, which is, I mean, between us and the SEC, I mean, we're the two best conferences in, in football, and and to be interviewing at the FCS level, that says a lot because a lot of these guys, any coordinator in Power Five, could be a head coach at the FCS level. Like, to me, you don't even take the interview; you would you would hang up and laugh on the phone. So I I just don't get it. And your comment about one foot out the door, it's like if you're Scott and you know that this guy that you hired, one of your one of your friends that you trust, apparently, he's got one foot out the door and it's like in the future, how much are you going to trust him? And, you know, just going forward, um, like, are you going to have to replace Lubick? Is he going to leave? That's just going to be one more staff change that you're going to have to make. And there was all this talk about wanting consistency in the coaching staff. You got Lubick interviewing. Um, and, you know, we'll get more into now the defense. Apparently we have Travis Fisher uh, kind of wading the waters, seeing what's out there, interviewing for the DB job at a premier SEC school. Yeah, they put in a natty a couple of years ago. Yeah. So. I mean, Georgia is obviously, you know... Light years. It's not even... I don't even know if we play the same sport right now. Um, but, you know, we could ask ourselves, is this? could this be like a low-key good thing that we have one of our coaches interviewing at Georgia? Well, I think we can kind of debate this. Yeah, I, do think? I, I don't think it's much of a debate. I think it is a, it's a, it's a, really, a, a really good thing. Um, Eric touched on this last week on our first podcast that Nick Saban has a revolving door of coaches and assistants that leave every single year for other opportunities. So the fact that Travis Fisher, who has been an elite recruiter, um, I think an elite coach at his position level, I mean, the guy played in the NFL 
And he is just, he's really good at coaching DBs. And to get noticed like that over at an SEC school that is, like we said, light years ahead of where we're at, I mean, that's, that's, looks good. I, it can't, it can't be negative. The only negative thing is, is, I mean, that room could take a step back, but on the flip side, if you got chins over there and he's, and, and he's coaching that same philosophy with whoever is the DB coach, it shouldn't matter. And I think that's the, that's what good schools do when they have that coaching turnover. Uh, I mean, what do you think, Eric? I've always thought it's a good thing if your program has coaches who, who were sought after by other programs. It just normally means that you're having some shred of success, but uh, the secondary is the least in Nebraska's problem. Ish has like shut that thing down. He's he's really good. I never thought uh, that he was long for here anyway, just because he's a really good like secondary coach, yeah, and still really young. So, and you know, a couple things about Fish, like he's got he's got those connections in Florida, which pays huge dividends in recruiting. And you can argue if that's a positive thing if you're at Nebraska, bringing Florida kids here. That has its ups and downs, as we've seen. And, you know, like, I can't really relate to this, but if you have a coach on your staff that's being sought after by top-tier schools, um, it, isn't it kind of like when, when you have a girlfriend, don't you want other guys to, like, kind of want her? If you don't want a girlfriend that no one else wants, Right. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what does that say about your girlfriend? She's probably not very good looking. So you're talking. So T Fish is kind of like our like our, our shiny toy that we're just kind of showing he's, off to the world. And he's our hot girlfriend. He's our hot girlfriend. Yeah. yeah. So Travis Fisher, you are a hot girl that other guys want. <laughs> just saying. I don't know. Like I said, I, I said I couldn't relate to that. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, because you don't I, get girls I, or I, hot girls. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> hey, I made the analogy. I got to pay the price. Yeah. So that's fine. Um, so I think, you know, we didn't mention this, but I think we should have our nice, uh, we planned this, this hour-long segment on Avante Dickerson. Should we Should we get started on that? Was it just an hour? Yeah, just an hour. We'll talk about... Uh, I thought it was like an hour and a half or something. Oh, yeah. So everybody just uh, buckle up. We're going to talk about Avante and... Please tell me you're kidding. Uh, so that was it. Uh, he went to Oregon. Uh, end of that segment. So we wish him nothing but the best. He didn't want to be here. Uh, get out. Avante Duckerson. Yep. Quack, quack. Quack, quack. <laughs> All right. What's next on the agenda? So I think the next agenda is uh, let's talk about these player tweets. Uh, I got a little uh, shit from Jared about how I like those tweets. No, you tweet at recruits. No, I don't tweet at recruits. I don't tweet at recruits. But uh, no, I so I, all these players conveniently about noon uh, last week decided that they needed to tell the world that they were uh, unified and how much they loved the university. Do you guys think that that was staged? Let's just start there. Do I think it was staged? Is the sky blue? Is water wet? Come on. I think the more important question is, well, look, it was obviously staged. Let's, come on. Now, I think the, the more important question is, was it staged by the players? Or was there someone higher up that was like, hey, guys, you gotta, we got to show some unity here. We have, we have a lot of talk on our pro, about our program that we're kind of unstable right? You got Keyshawn on ESPN talking about how 
this coaching staff doesn't have their stuff together. And, you know, you have these big names like McCaffrey and Warner leaving. We're, we're getting a lot of negative press right now. You got, we got we to show some, some unity here. I think maybe Jared Lambrick, who is the director of player personnel, he might have said something. He's, That's just my inkling, but go. He's the chief of staff. He, he ain't player personnel. The chief of, the chief of staff, Jared Lambrick. Excuse me. Okay. Same point, though. Same, same yes, thing. Yes. Like, if it's the players, it's kind of it's better if it was the players that orchestrated it. But if they had to have, like, someone higher up orchestrate it, it's, it just makes you look pretty pathetic, if you ask me. But, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, overall, it doesn't mean a whole lot because all that matters in year four are the results on the field. But it's pretty clear it was staged because they all came out at literally the exact same time. But, I mean, I, I guess just hollow words at this point, isn't it? I mean, so I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think I think some of those those new recruits that are coming in have a little swagger to them where they, they kind of want to, they want to put their footprint on right away and, and, and let the Husker fans know that they're in good hands with these these recruits and we're going to we're going to turn the tables and and do different things. So do I think it was staged? Absolutely. I think it was staged. But I think there I think there's going to be guys in the locker room that probably supported the idea and and pushed that idea. I don't think it was full on Scott Frost or Jared Lambert or whoever else. I don't think it's any of those guys saying, guys, I need you guys to tweet at, at 1201 about unity and, and how much how much you love each other. No, we don't like I don't think that's where it was at, but maybe there was a discussion. Winter conditioning is going on right now. We we have had this uh, bad PR the last couple weeks. Maybe it was a discussion, you know, their guys are working out, you know, meeting up as new teammates and stuff like that. And maybe it's a thing where it's like, hey guys, you know, like this is the class that's gonna do it. We we need to Let's let's try to unify and and try to try to tell the world that this university isn't as bad as everybody's saying it is right now. Uh, so let's try to be a fire extinguisher to this ginormous dumpster fire uh, that this program it looks like right now. Hopefully, we can move to a point where the program doesn't need to have its players try to appease the media and the fans that we swear everything's okay. Because if you look at the elite programs. In college football, you don't see their players trying to reassure their fans. We love you. We love each other. We swear, everything's fine. Meanwhile, the house is burning down around you, like that meme. So, it's. I still think it's like kind of pathetic, and it, it's like a desperate, desperate reach, if you ask me. But I mean, just win, just win games. That's all you got to do, right? Maybe get off Twitter. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it if it pays off in the locker room and yeah. Well, and we got players tweeting all these dark quotes and music lyrics and all kinds of stuff, and fans try to read in between the lines on that stuff. Do you guys think any of that stuff? There's truth to any of that stuff? Do you think they do it for attention? Do you think it's stuff to worry about? I mean, what are your thoughts on these players? Now that this is a new age. We all have Twitters, and and everybody is on social media. Do you think when players tweet those dark lyrics or dark quotes or anything like that, do you think that's something that fan bases should be looking out for, or is that something that 
actually has truth to it, or is it just something where they maybe want a little attention? Well, I mean, I can recall when I was 18 years old and I was posting song lyrics on Facebook, like, you know, a Jay-Z lyric, like, love hard and stick hard, and the only time you love them is when your dick's hard. <laughs> like, it's just a dumb thing I tweeted because I, I thought it was a, a nice, <laughs> a good lyric. So, I'm just saying, I remember when I was a young a young cat and I was posting these song lyrics, I don't know if there's... I don't want to dig into an 18-year-old's freaking tweet. I wish they would just not tweet. I wish they would kind of just focus. But again, that's like the the old run-the-damn-ball guy in me, you know? Yeah, yeah, like your hat, right? Yeah, just like my hat that I'm wearing. Well, I will say Adrian, Adrian's kind of like the guy that you should kind of lead by example. He doesn't tweet. And when he does tweet, they're just, except for this Unity thing, um, when he does tweet, they're they're pretty just cut and dry. Uh, there's no reading between the lines. He, he's short and sweet. I mean, maybe you lead by example like that, but you know, we all know there's different personalities in every locker room and, and, in this day and age, you have to cater to that, especially in recruiting too. It's, you know, like Scott is probably telling these guys on the recruiting trail, like we got sweet social media guys. They'll make you a logo. Uh, we're going to make you some sweet you know, web design stuff and make you look like you're wearing a jersey because we can't wear wear real ones during COVID. It's going to be really cool. Like, could you imagine if Deion Sanders had a Twitter when he played? Oh, gosh. I mean, look, you know, I'm I'm being the the curmudgeon here, but like I said, I mean, if Deion Sanders was tweeting, he would still be, he would still be a GOAT player. So, you know, like you said, every personality on the football team Blah, blah, blah. Good point. I try not to read too much into that because I know that, like, us as fans, we see them as athletes on the field, but they still are humans. They still have lives. They still, like, do things outside of their job. Football only. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Dude, at Alabama, they're not. They're just machines there. <laughs> well, okay. All they know is football. Well, okay, being created in a lab is a little d- different than being a football player. But. <laughs> we, need, we need to start, like, using test tubes and, like, putting – Splicing DNA and stuff. We need to start doing this. There are kids in Alabama's class every year who are supposedly 18, except they're 6'5 and 250 with, like, full beards and, like, balding heads. And it's like, are you sure you're married 18? With, married with three kids. <laughs> <laughs> they got their little ID in green crayon that says, I am 18. I am 12. <laughs> um, so... Okay, crap. What are we just talking about? We're talking about player tweets. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? But um, maybe we could touch on... So today was National Signing Day, and it was the most uneventful National Signing Day I think I've ever experienced. I think the last five, ten years, this has been like Christmas for us. Like We would look forward to this day, and we'd see all those names pop up, and then we'd see the recap and get all excited about these guys that don't stay here for four years. What are your thoughts on National Signing Day with the early signing day and COVID and everything else? What were your thoughts on this year? I mean, pretty uneventful. We got the one guy, the the kid from Hawaii, um, and we knew he was coming. Winden. Winden. Hawaii. Yeah. We we got that kid, and we, we knew he was coming. But other than that, you know. I mean, it's I think it's good and bad. I mean, it's good because the early signing day takes out all the, the nail-biting on both the the fans' perspective and the coaches' perspective. I mean, 
But don't we love the drama? I yeah. we love the drama, don't we? Yeah, like don't we, folks? Jaden Francois last year, shoot, walking away from the table, taking phone calls from Miami. I mean, that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, the drama is great. Yeah, yeah it's such a. Oh, sorry. No, sorry, no, no. <laughs> I had a dumb thing. Jaden might be the best freshman to ever play here. <laughs> sorry to never play here. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. But yeah, it was yeah. pretty uneventful, but I think kind of like you said, Jared, I think it was, it, it's kind of a good thing. It was kind of relaxing. We knew that, uh, we're not going to say his name anymore, but we knew that he was not coming here. We knew, uh, that that ship has left the station and that he was uh, on his way to Eugene. That duck has quacked. Yeah, that duck was quacked. <laughs> um, we knew that was already happening. So now moving forward, Scott's got two spots open. Um, I mean, where do you think we go with those two spots? I mean, we know what the class is now. I, I think we touched a little, a little bit last week. I mean, maybe look at the, the transfer portal for a quarterback with some experience or maybe look for a, a pass rusher. We don't have any of those. We need a pass rusher desperately. Caleb Tanner is not the pass rusher that we thought he was. And it's too bad because, I mean, he looked, you know, coming in, you know, you got hype around recruits. Caleb Tanner, he looked like a dude. You know, that was going to come in and, and play some good ball. But he's just kind of been there. How many sacks does the dude have? I don't even know, honestly. Uh, one. I but, don't know. But, like, yeah, I, personally, I would I would love for them to get a quarterback. As long as the quarterback coming in knows that he's not going to start because he's not going to start off the season being QB1. It's just not going to happen. So there are these rumors flying around about Terry Wilson. Terry Wilson, former Husker commit like two times. I mean, he's he's been he's been in so many different places and look, he played at Kentucky last year. Yep, he got some decent playing time. He didn't play like terribly, but as long as if he's going to come here, as long as he knows that he's not going to start off being QB one, and we just need a viable backup right now. Yeah, because right now you have Smothers. Dude is an unknown. Okay. We we haven't heard an inkling about him. Like usually, you got media talking about the backup, even if they're not good. You still at least hear about them. You don't hear anything about Smothers. I don't know if you guys have heard anything about Smothers. No, there's nothing about Smothers because there was no traditional fall camp, spring, all that stuff. All that stuff was rolled out with COVID. So sure. this this is a mystery year. I I think the Terry Wilson thing. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I don't see why he would want to come here and be the backup. But like I did say in our previous episode, Adrian will miss at least one or two games. Write it down. Like Adrian has proven over and over again that he cannot stay healthy. And part of it's the offense where we run our quarterbacks and and it's just it, it's that reckless style of play that that's that's just endured when you run this type of offense. So Terry could look at it that way. I mean, another thing is too, he's an athlete. And Luke, we used Luke. We proved that we you could, we could use our athletes in other positions. So maybe Terry comes here and we we run some razzle dazzle plays where he can line up and just be a wildcat quarterback. Come in, run run up the middle, or throw a couple uh, passes and come off the field. I think Adrian, as a leader, doesn't mind it. But I don't know. Well, just real quick, um, if he does come here, he's going to be insurance. And you know, if you're going to have insurance that has like some pretty decent like SEC experience. And I'm I'm cool with that personally. Well, and he played for Oregon. He played for Matt Lubick. 
Um, Frost Connection. Frost Connection. Right? All that. I mean, he, he's, I mean, he was a Nebraska commit, played at Oregon, went to JUCO, went to Kentucky. I mean, he's been all over the place. I can't believe you know all that. Why well, do I know all that? I just know. I just, I spend the time <laughs> following up on my boy Terry because he's just almost been a Husker for so many times. And now we are year six, six year senior. He has another opportunity to be a Husker. It's amazing. He committed in the same class as Patrick O'Brien, and he and they're both still around. <laughs> like, oh God. God. those guys have a wife and, and kids, right? Colorado State. Oh, well, O'Brien has also transferred about four times from Nebraska to Colorado State and, and I think Washington. Col- yeah, yeah. yeah. You guys remember remember that P.O.B. the one and P-O-B. only P.O.B. the one and only P.O.B. Johnny Stanton. Oh, wait. Sorry. <laughs> no, he's a fullback in, for the Browns. That's a oh, deep cut. Okay. Oh, that's a deep cut, Johnny Stanton. Um, no, but as for the final two spots, you almost like have to get a QB, don't you? I mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't want to see uh, Matt Masker taking any snaps in a game. So, no offense if you're listening, Matt. Right. We love you. Uh, but it's a good to have because Adrian is going to go down. He, he is not a large guy. He's going to get hurt. He does a lot of somersaults, I see. I've, and I've land noticed, on his head. I've noticed. And then fumbles the ball. Dude, just slide. You don't got to. I don't know if that last spot, they could do what they did last the past couple years and get a like summer Juco kid. But those have worked out so well. Well, so I I thought about that too, but there is one weird thing about 2020, 2021, is Juco, they didn't play football this year. So none of those, I mean, all those guys had to sit out a year. So is there really a good Juco guy out there? I think Terry Wilson is probably the best option, especially since he already knows the offense and shit, probably knows all the plays. I mean, there was also that Texas Tech quarterback, but he's just, it's not the same type of offense. We're not just huck a chuck of football, you know? Yeah. But if you want a nice change of pace, I think he, I don't think it'd be a bad idea, but, yeah. but I'm, I'm not usually a, a proponent of a two QB system in in real life, and an NCAA is fantastic. <laughs> but <laughs> oh yeah, oh and a shout out to NCAA EA Sports is finally bringing that back. So uh, round of applause. We'll, we'll do a, come on. We'll do a quick little uh, shout out for that. I can't wait to dominate the computer on Heisman and win by a hundred <laughs> like I usually do, or against the user who shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, are we not? We're not going to call people out on our on our pod. Yeah, that's Eric. Yeah, yeah literally good. Eric oh, okay. himself, the guy sitting next <laughs> okay. to me. I beat him by like a hundred. He's admitting that he sucks ass. Well, he doesn't suck. He's just not good. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Fair enough. A- anyway, so which I'm not the host, except I'll lead us into our next topic. Uh, we aren't going to touch a whole all out on this. And J- and Jared, you kind of said, you know. Or whatever. Who is the one sleeper of this class that you think can come in and play straight away? Well, hold on well, a second. I want to okay. say I want to say this first off that I kind of despise recruiting. I get that it's it's a money maker, right? You got people buy subscriptions to stuff. Jared. I'm one of I'm one of them. Okay, but I I like hate it. I like torturing myself. So, um. If I'm talking about a sleeper, um, I don't. I'm not saying he's gonna start right away, 
but I see this dude's measurables, and it's got me curious. His name, Jalen Weaver, defensive end out of California. He is six foot eight, 320 pounds. And so what you've probably noticed with these recent recruiting class under Frost, they're trying to get longer along like the, the defensive line and especially the offensive line. Like every dude is six foot nine. But this guy's 6'8", 320. He's listed as a defensive end. Okay. And, you know, you look at his offer list. You got Arizona. You got Arizona State. You got Arkansas. You got Indiana, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Washington State. Nothing that's going to blow you away. But there's a reason why I'm calling him a sleeper. Because, I'm like I said, I look at his measurables and I'm like, okay, 6'8", 320. You're along the defensive line. It's like, okay, let's see what you can do. And I'm, I'm very curious as to how he's going to do as a black shirt. So that's my pick, Jalen Weaver. All right. Well, um, if we're going to talk about sleepers, um, I, my sleeper is going to be a local kid, uh, Kobe Bretz. Uh, from what I've heard, and I listen to Damon Benning every morning. So, um, and Damon's a West Side guy. DB. Kobe is a kid that has just straight raw potential. He doesn't even know how good he is yet. And uh, he's just a just a pure athlete. And I, that gets me kind of excited. It's just, if you get a guy like that um, under some good tutelage, which I'm not saying we have that, but if you give him some good tutelage and get him the right strength and conditioning, um, those are the type of guys you want on your team. And I think that's why the staff took him is just we don't know where you're going to play yet, but – you are an athlete, and you don't know how good you're going to be. And maybe it was uh, your boy Dave Remington, I mean Cam Jurgens. Uh, <laughs> maybe the same type of thing where they saw him as a tight end and made him you know, the best center in college football, LOL. But it's one of those things, yeah, you take in a kid like Kobe Bretz who is just a, a pure athlete, and you're going to find him a home. Maybe he puts on 20, 30 pounds, and he's playing outside backer for you. Who knows? I mean, the kid can play anywhere. That's, that's my sleeper. The Isaiah uh, Obi of the football team, he doesn't know how good he is yet for three years. But <laughs> um, my sleeper, and given the depth chart, I don't know if it's a sleeper, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, pick Gabe Irvin because um, there's not a whole lot in that running back room, and why not see what he's got? I mean, just throw him out there, see what they got, and who never earns the job, earns the job. Um, so, Mike, your pick? I think um, I think that's a that's a good pick. Not only because he's you know local and you're probably gonna cheer for him like that little bit extra because he's from here and all that. I think you know if he does put on that extra twenty ish pounds, you know could he be like a JoJo Dolman or something like that? You know make plays, see ball get ball. Like I said last week, that's what JoJo does. And Gabe Irvin, I think that's an excellent pick too. I mean, you look at his offer sheet. I hate to say this, but one of his offers was freaking Iowa. And if we're not kidding ourselves, I was pretty good at evaluating running backs. I mean, and that's far from his best offer. He had Georgia. You know, you got like solid offers like Virginia Tech and Florida State. I know Florida State's down, but anytime you have a Florida State offer, you're going to take no. So, yeah, those I think those are good sleeper picks. Yeah, Bobby Bowden from the Ashes, you know, he's he's out recruiting still, right? Dude, he evaluates <laughs> from the grave. Well, he had COVID and survived that. That man is a freaking machine. 
Okay, so we just talked sleepers. We just talked sleepers. Now, did we want anything else? Yeah, let's talk about uh, what what's a guy that you could you think could make an immediate impact. Um, is there any of those guys? I think I'll say the obvious one, Thomas Fedoni. I think I think the the landscape of the tight end position is is now changing. You look at the guys like George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Gronk, like. Those guys are not only magnificent blockers, but they are a total mismatch when it comes to the safety. Like a linebacker can't cover them, a safety can't cover them because they're too big. I think Thomas Fedoni, he he's got to be that that X factor. I mean, he was rated as the number one tight end recruit. I mean, I think on all services, maybe two on a different one, but he, I think. Hopefully he can walk the walk because he sure talks the talk on Twitter and everything, and and he puts in the work though. I mean. He really does. I mean, he's at that explosive edge every day, working out, and uh, I I'm excited to see him. I hope he can play right away, and I feel bad for like a guy like Austin Allen or somebody like that if he or Travis Vocal like if. But may the best man play, and if if he's better, if a true freshman is better than your third year junior or fourth year junior or senior, whatever Austin Allen is now with this weird COVID extra year thing, he's still got to play. He's a he's a weapon. He had an offer sheet miles long. I mean, Penn State, Alabama, LSU, Notre it. Dame, yeah. you name it. Everybody wanted him. And uh, luckily, he was a lifelong Husker fan. But, I mean, yeah, let's let's just point out the obvious one. Um, it's a safe bet. I'm, I'm not much of a gambler, so let's just say safe bet, Thomas Fedoni, instant impact. I hope I see him next year. What do you think, Eric? Who's, uh, who's your for sure pick? I'm going to go with, and now I say this in advance of I'm a, no scout, and I don't know how, how these kids are going to look, but if you look at uh, positions of need and like where, uh, like where we have to have players, I'm going to go with Randolph Kapai, the outside backer from Florida, or from South Dakota. South Dakota. They have been trying to find a good outside backer ever since they got here. Maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's the backer who can do everything. He can rush the, the passer. He can cover. I don't know, but maybe we'll see. And he was one of your first commits, and he never wavered. So he so he's excited to get up here and work and see what he's got. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, And, you know, I think you look at this class and – you're looking at the the offensive linemen, right? So you got Prohaska, Lutovsky, Branson Yeager. Those are like pretty much your first like three recruits that you got to commit to you. And so you're hoping that these these guys can step in. And again, I'm not saying that's going to be right away, but you need these guys to step in to be your pipeline. Um me personally, I, I want them to be a run-oriented offense, you know, to sprinkle, sprinkle and passing, of course. But I think you need a, you need a solid pipeline, and I hope th- those three dudes can step up and usher in the great offensive line that Scott Frost needs in order for his offense to hum, hum. assuming he can <sighs> be consistent in his play calling and hopefully just improve as a play caller. So I'm just I'm hoping an offensive lineman can step in and just freaking dominate. And I've heard that Lutovsky kid. I mean, I've heard he's a grown man and coming out of high school. So I know a lot of those, a lot of those uh, 
recruiting sites and stuff, they're they're pretty high on him, which whatever. Um, until you actually put on the pads and perform, I don't really care what, what the recruiting sites have to say. I think a fun thing we could touch on really quick is uh, guess who's available? Uh, Mr. Bookie, <laughs> Mr. Red Barn, out in uh, <laughs> where's that? Like Gretna. Or just past Gretna, Red, Bur- Red Barn Bookie. It's on the interstate somewhere. <laughs> the Bookie Barn is back. Do you think he makes, do you think he comes back here? Do you think he even considers it? Does Scott make the call? Does Travis Fisher make the call? You know what? Honestly, I think he would fit right in. No, I'm just joking. I, please God, no. <laughs> we don't, we don't need a, a five foot eight dude who is, just tries to lower the boom every time and. Just blows coverages like it's his freaking job. So he gets cooked repeatedly. I'll pass. He gets Let's, cooked. Yeah. All right. Well, that ends our bookie talk. I I yeah. just thought I'd slip him in because I'd uh, rather talk about freaking Avante Diggerson. No, you can't say his name. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, can can this usher in the, the next topic? Sure. Soon. Oh, oh, okay. So Red Barn soon. Right? Oh no, yeah, that wasn't there. <laughs> Put his name on a freaking barn, why don't you? Yeah, I probably should, right? Well, hey, we got this big game coming up. We got the Super Bowl. We got the fighting Indomitian Sues. Who's Tom Brady? We got the fighting Levante Davids. Come on, man. Who are you going for? Oh, God. Who so, are you going for? So I'm, I am the only human on this planet, probably. Maybe, maybe there's other people like me, but I think Tom Brady is the luckiest I'm not even going to say quarterback. The luckiest player of all time. He has been on the positive side of the luckiest plays in NFL history. The tuck rule and Atlanta being Atlanta and all kinds of other things that, I mean, the guy is just a lucky dude. Good looking, has a great wife, great player. I, I don't think he's the greatest talent we've ever seen at, at the quarterback position. But, all right, who do I have? I, I think, once again, I'm not a betting man. So if I had to make a safe pick, I think the Chiefs are going back-to-back. I I will not say I'm a Chiefs fan. I don't really have a team right now, except the Jags are going to be my new team. So let, let's get that that train rolling. Got to see if there's any Huskers on the, uh, besides Devon Zigbo, who uh, didn't respond when I asked him if he wanted to be on the show. So, uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But, uh, no, uh, I think the, the Chiefs have to be a safe bet. There's just too many weapons. I know we touched on it last week. Tyreek Hill is just a, a cheat code. He is Michael Vick on Madden 05 or 04. Uh, it's, yeah, Madden 04. But, no, he, it, I think Mahomes has a lot of toys to play with. And, and I, as much toys as Brady has, I think the Chiefs are the better team. But that Bucks defense with all those former Huskers, I, I, I'd like to see Indomitian and, and Levante and, and Khalil Davis go get a ring. I mean. Yes, sir. Hey, I, I don't care who wins. Yeah, and. You know, I don't want to make this a a Brady, a Brady uh, discussion because yeah, we could be all we, night. We're we're gonna get into Indomitian Sue a little bit, but just in terms of you know being the luckiest player, all I remember is them being freaking sixteen and zero, and old helmet catch comes out of nowhere. That's bubblegum. I'm just saying, David Tyree. Now you want to talk about some luck? That okay, was cool. that I mean that would have been the greatest team of all time. Those Patriots. Um, you can talk about the '72 Dolphins, but. I mean, a modern team going undefeated, I think. And you got Randy Moss. Oh, Come yeah. on, man. 4-2. You got freaking David Tyree making the 
helmet catch. I he mean, had couple on. gum. He he had some bazooka gum before and Let's stick them on his helmet. Put put it right on his helmet. <laughs> well, look, I'm just gonna say I'm I'm going for the I'm going for the Bucks. Good, you know, and it's not because of Brady. Like Brady's done it. He doesn't need to do anything else. I need my boy Sue. I need my boy Levante to get them that ring. So, do you think? Uh, do you think? And we'll go right into this. Do you think if if Sue gets a Super Bowl ring. He this is his second Super Bowl appearance in the last 3 years. Yeah. If Sue gets an, a Super Bowl ring, does that solidify him as a Pro Football Hall of Famer? Solidify is a strong word. I think there there was an article just recently that placed him as between a 40 and 69% chance, nice. To uh, for being a Hall of Famer. I think that would like jump him up to the more sixty nine nice side of it. So, you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna run down some things, some reasons why I think Indomitian Sue is a Hall of Famer. If you look at the NFL, what they do is for every decade they dole out an all decade team. So Indomitian Sue, he did make the twenty tens. All decade team, so that's between 2010 and 2019. Um, between 2010 and 2017, he did make an All Pro team, either first or second team. So that's seven years of All Pro ball, and three of those years was first team All Pro. Um, he is a five-time Pro Bowler. Um, if you're looking at Hall of Famers, usually they get up to the seven seven range um so he might be lacking in that department but he's the only player since 2010 to have 10,000 snaps so he's got that longevity argument at a tough position if you want to look at reputation I think this is one of the things that's holding him back is the whole reputation angle okay and from the way I look at it this could be a good thing or a bad thing okay if you're looking at Indomitian Sioux He's been fined six times. He has been suspended twice. I thought it was going to be more than that, but it was only twice. So, you know, he's missed three games in his career for kind of being a knucklehead, right? <laughs> now, you know, that's that's the bad, right? Getting fined, players thinking you're dirty or whatever. But I think that's like a double-edged sword because if you look at defensive players in like the 70s and 80s, if you were like an Indomitian Sioux type, you're viewed as like a hard-nosed guy. You don't want to go over the middle with this guy because he's going to knock your block off. And like some of these dudes from like the 60s and 70s and 80s, like they're, that's partly the reason why they're even in the Hall of Fame is because they have that reputation of they're that defender that's going to, you know, that's going to knock your head off, right? And so, you know, in this day and age where you, Every game's on television, and you got Twitter, and you got slow motion. Yeah, him stepping on some dude's head doesn't really look very good. <laughs> the cleats going through the face mask. You know, it, you look at it, and you go, oh, I can't, "Can we, can we enshrine this guy? It's gonna make us look bad." Meanwhile, they're covering up, you know, concussion. Anyway, the NFL, Roger Goodell. Anyway. Oh, he was Rookie of the Year in 2010, okay? Rookie of the Year. Woo! <laughs> like I said, I'm arguing for Indomitian Sioux, okay? So, yeah, I'm going to point out some things. 
Now, let's get into tackles for loss, okay? Tackles for loss became like an official stat in 1999. Okay. Before before then, it was just kind of like dudes, uh, it was kind of like a mythic stat. It's like this mythic stat that no one really kept track of. But since 99, he is second behind only Aaron Donald in tackles for loss. He's also second behind Aaron Donald in quarterback hits, and that's been that's an official stat since 2006. So if I look at tackles for loss and QB hits, he's only behind Aaron Donald, who's going to go down as the greatest defender of all time, more than likely. I think that's pretty good. If you look at um, Hall of Famers right now, like you have Cortez Kennedy. He played most of his career in Seattle. He has more sacks than Cortez Kennedy. Um, Kevin Williams, who played on the Vikings for a long time, he's probably going to be enshrined um, within the next few years. Um, he's got more sacks than Kevin Williams. If you want to look at like contemporaries, of course, Aaron Donald. I think with just with all those things, and then if you hopefully add a ring this year, I think that will put him over the top. I do. I'm not saying it's slam dunk by any means. It's most. It's mostly hopeful thinking, but I think he will make it. Okay. So I think I think you made great points, and I I am a Sue guy. I, despite some of his bad rep that he's have has caused and has gotten, I do think he's a very nice guy off the field. And some guys just have those switches, which I think you need to play football as long as he has. Uh, and Dominican is is a dominant player, and I think he will get overshadowed by Aaron Donald in this generation of being a dominant defensive tackle, especially the amount of snaps that that man has played. It is unbelievable, the longevity and just not getting hurt. I mean, and I remember when he was a rookie with the Lions, their kicker went down, and Dominican came out there and kicked a, kicked a field goal or a PAT. That was, that was pretty yeah. cool. So I don't think Aaron Donald's done that before. Versatile. So yeah, I, <laughs> He can play, yeah, because he used to play soccer or something uh, when he was a kid. And uh, so, no, I, I, I like I like the thought of Ndamukong going in. I do think with that baggage that we all know about, and if you look at a guy who I think should have been a first battle Hall of Famer, like Terrell Owens, the guy had baggage, maybe not near as bad as, as Ndamukong's. He didn't step on people's heads or fingers or anything like that. Right. And Terrell Owens had to wait two years to even get in. I think the stuff that Ndamukong's done might push him a lot longer. He might be one of those Hall of Famers that we'll hear about when we're 60 years old and he finally got in, and then Jared can finally say, Told you so. Yep. So Overall, he's a good guy off the field. He's got that switch and that grit that you need to be, uh, to be a good defensive player. Yeah. And uh, I like that. I like that. I, the, the thought. I think it, it's not as far-fetched as some people may think. But, uh, yeah. Well, Eric, what do you think about Ndamukong Sue making the Hall of Fame? I was going to be against Jared, but uh, I did some research on my own. It's, uh, yeah, he's he's got the numbers. He's But, again, like the only thing I think that would hold him back is he played for some pretty bad teams until these last couple of seasons. Like, yeah, I mean, his, his best seasons were with the freaking Lions. And... I th- he made the playoffs, I think, once, and yeah. he was, you know, bounced out after one game. And so you don't have any playoff exposure. That's not going to help you any. Which isn't fair, but it is something that, 
you know, like election committees and stuff for whatever it is, do judge off of. And I think winning a Super Bowl could help, but that the fact that he could be 0-2 in Super Bowls would not sit well, I don't think. Well, and I... But the irony behind this is that in the first Super Bowl he played in, he, he lost to Tom Brady, and now he's trying to, to help Tom Brady win one. So. <laughs> well, you know... Your point about him being 0-2 in the Super Bowl, I think that's obviously held against quarterbacks a lot more than defensive tackles, right? But, it, I mean, your point is well taken. I think if, like, if he can come out and make some plays against these Chiefs, hopefully get a sack or two, get a pass deflection, like, have a tide-turning play, I think it'll kind of, like, build him up. Put a it bow will. on it? Is it going to put a bow on it? If he, well, it, the, the ring will be the bow. You, so the ring's the bow. The ring's the so, bow. But what if he has some like big Big 12 championship and Dominican Sue in him where he takes over the game? And, well, if I he mean, has a game like that. Oh, my. You mean? Like hit the game that should have won him a Heisman Trophy? Yeah, that was... Shoot. <laughs> I mean, if he can have a game like that, I don't know. How, if you're listening to us, I don't know how you can argue against me then. If he has a, 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 <laughs> well, Colt, a Colt McCoy ragdoll... Unless you have Game? Mac Brown putting more time on the clock and screwing him over, I mean. <laughs> well, I you know what? If if he has a Colt McCoy game, right, throwing Pat Mahomes around like a rag doll, and they get a second put on the clock, and they lose, Tom Brady loses, and Dominican Sue loses. I still think that I think that people would look at that game and be like, okay, that'll be the bow. Okay. Okay, but how many defensive tackles have games like Sue did in that Big Twelve Championship? I, I mean, mean, come on. In college Jesus. and and especially not in the NFL, but in college, I'm I've never seen a guy take over a game like that. <laughs> okay, so we talked about Sue. Let's move on to a guy who doesn't get the 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 rep, the the talk, the anything, and maybe he's finally starting to get a little bit of spotlight, even though he wasn't selected in the Pro Bowl again this year. Um, Levante David, I mean, who has been one of the best linebackers in the NFL since he he started in day one. I mean, the guy is just a workhorse, and it's just, he's all over the field. We saw it at Nebraska. The guy just has a nose for the football. He knows where it's at, and and he's shown it game in and game out for years and years. What do you think about Levante David? Just, I mean, I'm not talking Hall of Fame or anything like that, but what do you think about him just overall? And and I think I'm excited for the opportunity that he finally yeah. is getting a chance to, one, make it to the playoffs, two, make a run in the playoffs, and now three, he has his first attempt at winning a Super Bowl. What do you think about Levante? What are your what are your guys' opinions on Levante? I mean, I think it's too bad that he had to wait until he was like 30 years old before anyone really noticed who this guy was. It's like, dang, man. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, I know you said not Hall of Fame. He might legitimately be the best linebacker in the NFL. Yeah. And we don't even hear about him because he plays for a team with, with let's say it, not a huge fan base in a relatively small market. All right. All right. Back to topic. So we're talking about Levante. Um, why do you think it's taken the, taken the NFL this long to, to realize how good this guy has been for so long, the longevity of of his career and just how dominant he actually has been. I think he was overshadowed by like a Luke Keekley um, yeah. and, and some of those other guys. But I mean, if you look at the numbers, the guy is just 
I mean, he's always on the top of the list in tackles every freaking year. I mean, he he had to be overshadowed by some of these other guys. But I mean, why do you think it is? And it's t- it's tough. Be- playing in Tampa after they won that Super Bowl um, with Gruden back in '02 and freaking Derek Brooks and Barber and Brad Sapp. Johnson. Yeah, Brad Johnson. <laughs> um, after that, I mean, they've toiled in in obscurity ever since then. I. I know a team like that. Wait, that hasn't been good in almost 20 years? What team would that be? Oh, okay. I, just, I don't know. Do we have a podcast about it? Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just honestly think that he's just been hidden. He's been hidden. He's- well, also, I mean, if you play on a bad team, which they have been for a majority of his career, you're not going to get all, that, all the, you know, all the b- bells and whistles and all the awards everyone else gets, so... That's probably another part of it. And now that he's he's had a chance to shine, it's like, oh, wow, who, who is this guy? Is he always around? Yeah, yeah. crazy. He's been in the league for almost 10 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, so we we touched on those guys. Hopefully Khalil Davis gets into play. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Khalil Davis, there we go. Yeah, I mean, too. yeah, good for him. So let's let's do this. This will be kind of fun, so we can recap it next week. Uh, score projections. Let's let's start off, Jared. Give us your score projections for the Super Bowl. Score projections for the Super Bowl. Well, me wanting so badly for the Bucks to pull this one out. I'm hope I'm hoping for. Uh, you got to assume that the Chiefs are going to put up at least 24. Okay, let's just say that. So I'm hoping for like a 28-24. Hopefully, like the Chiefs aren't in a position to drive and kick a game-winning field goal. Kind of like Brady's Patriots have, you know, in the past. <laughs> I'm hoping that's not the case. So I am praying for a 28 to 24 victory by the Fighting Sues. The Tampa Bay's. Tampa. The Tampa Bay. Tampa Brady Bay's. <laughs> All right. Um, score projection, like I said, I do think the Chiefs are going to win. Wrong or indifferent. Who cares? We're going to say. Uh, 37-31 Chiefs on top. I'm not a person who who enjoys repeat champions, but I think it's going to happen. Going to go 34-28. I just think the Chiefs can beat you in so many ways. So to wrap up, guys, um, we just want to say thanks for listening to episode two of the No Block, No Rock podcast. Um, please, 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 please follow us on Twitter at NBNR pod and that is the no block no rock podcast um we are hopefully going to be on spotify we'll see um we're going to post this probably on facebook too so you know please click on the link share it with your friends and uh this is one of your hosts jared hall mike delaware and i'm eric all right thanks for listening thanks for listening guys